0: If you want to try alcohol-free drinks, but you're unsure where to start, Club Soda can help you make better choices. And to make things even easier, we've launched some new subscription boxes so you can get amazing drinks delivered straight to your door. Try our Discovery Box with our pick of the best alcohol-free drinks around. It's packed with seasonal specials, new releases and some old favourites. And if you love wine, try our Wine Club Box. You can explore the best alcohol-free wines and wine alternatives. With each box, you'll also get an invite to a monthly online live tasting so you can learn more about each drink and we can try these drinks together. So what are you waiting for? Buy the box, drink the box. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the Club Soda podcast. I'm Drew Yeager. Club Soda is all about helping you live well by being more mindful about drinking. If you want to choose better alcohol-free drinks, make connections or discover how to change, this podcast is for you. And if you want even more good stuff, come and find us at joinclubsoda.com. Today's episode of the Club Soda podcast is all about journaling and how it can help you when you're changing your drinking. And I'm really excited about our special guest who's joining me to share her experiences of writing. I have to say, it's not often that I get to chat to a New York Times bestselling author, but I'm delighted to be joined by one today. And our guest today is also award-winning. Her debut novel, The Authenticity Project, recently picked up an award from the Romantic Novelists Association. But if you've been part of the Club Soda community for a while, you will probably know her best as the author of The Sober Diaries, which documents the story of how she quit drinking. So drumroll, please. Claire Pooley, welcome. to the club soda podcast
1: oh thank you it's so lovely to be
0: here i'm so glad that you've joined us. Um, so um so you know your your name will be familiar to lots of people in the club soda community but we always have people joining um, who are just just finding their way um listening to this podcast for the first time so um for those people who don't know you um tell us a bit about you
1: Oh, well, um, I uh, used to drink way too much. Um, (laughs) I started started drinking a lot, I guess, when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And it was the days of Absolutely Fabulous and Bridget Jones and the Sex and the City Girls and, and the Ladette. And it seemed to me that drinking a lot was not only great fun, but it was part of my sort of feminist duty to keep up with all those guys and and uh, and drink as much as they were. Um, and I didn't really think about the harm that it might be doing or or the fact that it might be a drug or any of those things. It just seemed to me to be what everyone else was doing too. So I drank my way through university. I went into advertising and I spent twenty, nearly 20 years in advertising. And it was a work hard play hard environment and alcohol was intrinsically bound up in that whole lifestyle so uh-huh. we had a bar in the office i had a big expense budget and part of my job was taking clients out and and showing them a good time you know in, in, drinking in restaurants and clubs and all of that sort of stuff and um and gradually i just started drinking more and more and more because my tolerance increased so uh-huh. i wasn't one of those people that was often uh, if ever obviously drunk um, i just used to be able to drink a lot without anyone noticing Yeah. And, you know I, I used to get to the end of the day and i'd pour myself a large glass of wine to relax and i by this stage i had three kids and it was sort of it was me time it was it was it was what again what i thought everyone was doing my my facebook and and uh, and instagram feeds were filled with memes about um, you know wine o'clock and all mm. that sort of stuff so I poured a large glass of wine to relax. And that large glass of wine turned into two and that turned into three. And because my glasses were so big, three glasses was a bottle. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I was drinking a bottle of wine a day at the week during the week. And then at weekends it would be more than that, probably two bottles of wine. So it was about 10 bottles of wine a week, which mm-hmm. is obviously a lot of wine. Yeah. And it was almost entirely wine as well. Mm -hmm. I sort of had this thought that if I didn't drink spirits, it meant that I didn't really have a problem. And if I didn't drink before midday, then I didn't really have a problem. And Mm -hmm. I had all these, all these reasons to convince myself that I didn't really have a problem. Whereas deep, you know, in my heart, I knew I had a problem. I was... You know, I was really anxious all the time. I was in terrible insomniac. I was uh, massively overweight. I, um, I was, wasn't a good mother because I was constantly trying to escape my own children. Um, And, you know, generally, I think my life, my life felt like it was stuck in a rut. It just, you know, I, all of my horizons had got smaller um, Mm. and, and yeah life life just wasn't what i'd mm. expected it to be
0: yeah i mean i think one of the one of the interesting things um knowing a bit about you and about your story is the extent to which writing about your experiences was absolutely integral for you in the process of change you know when we think about this business of journaling i think sometimes um people imagine that it's um I'm just going to make some notes as I'm going along to um, work out, you know, and keep track of what's going on. And I might kind of scribble about the amount that I drank or didn't drink today and that kind of thing. But for you, it was something more than that, wasn't it? That actually there was something about writing about your experiences and about the process of change that actually helps you change. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was all bound up with shame, to be honest, because, one of my most overwhelming emotions when I realised I had to quit drinking and I tried to moderate, by the way, for years and years, mm. just couldn't do it. And I just came to the conclusion that that giving up entirely was, was the only option. Um, and I, But I was really ashamed. I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could talk to any of my friends or my family or my GP or even AA, you know, anybody about what a mess I got myself into. And but I knew I had to offload somehow. I knew that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't healthy to to keep all of this stuff to myself. Oh. And I, I felt like I needed to be accountable as well. So I I, I thought that writing would be a way of, of doing that, but still while staying, you know, keeping it all personal, um, I I wrote under a pseudonym. Um, so initially I thought about writing a diary because when I was little, I'd always written a diary and I'd always loved writing and, but I'd stopped writing for decades because I was too busy partying hard and play and working hard and all of those other things and being a mum. Um, uh so uh so I thought about writing a diary and then I remembered coming back to Sex and the City because I <laughs> remembered um Carrie and you know her uh, beavering away on on yep. her, her her word processor. Mm-hmm. Um up in her I, I love those door, moments. And I thought, oh, ooh, actually I could be like that. You know, mm-hmm. I could I could do the sort of twenty-first century thing mm-hmm. and write a blog rather mm-hmm. than than, uh, than a diary so uh, so I set up a blog which given that I'm a technophobe was a bit of a challenge <laughs> <laughs> and, and I called it mummy was a secret drinker and I called myself sober mummy because uh-huh. again due to the shame I didn't want anyone to know it was actually me and I wrote in it every single day and mm. i just i treated it like a friend really or a therapist mm. or you know, I just offloaded everything that was going on in my head. And um yeah, it was incredibly cathartic.
0: Mm. Well, I, I mean I'm intrigued by this as you know when you talk about when you talk about shame, um, you know, and I appreciate that your blog was was anonymous to begin with, although, you know, obviously, you know, it turned into a, a book and you you revealed who you were. But actually the I'm wondering whether was the the process of of blogging in public even though anonymous, do you think that was chipping away at that sense of of shame that you were carrying around?
1: Yes, definitely because what the blogging did was it started creating this community and which wouldn't have happened if I'd just been writing in a diary uh, yeah. so um so after even though I didn't publicize it Um, at all, people gradually started to find me and it sort of uh, snowballed, you know, it it went kind of viral. And, um, and what I discovered is that whenever I offloaded about some something terrible that I'd done when I was drinking or some weird thoughts that I used to have or, you know, stuff that I was going through now I wasn't drinking, I would get people coming back to me from all over the world going, yeah, me too, you know, uh-huh. I did that. So, I mean, just to give you an example, um, I remember, I remember one day talking about how when I was drinking I'd had this irrational fear of cashiers and um and how I used to, you know, whenever I bought alcohol in a shop, I would go, oh, you know, I'd turn around the kids and I go, oh, we're buying a bottle of wine for daddy. <laughs> and, and I would try not to go to the same shop too often because I thought that the cashiers were judging me. Yeah. And one of the great things about quitting drinking was not feeling judged by cashiers. <laughs> <laughs> And I had so many people come back to me on this blog post saying, yeah, I feel or, or felt judged by cashiers too, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just you. And and this conversation went on and then somebody commented, I'm a cashier and I do judge you. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think that that process of, of discovering that I was not alone and that what I was going through was the, a journey shared by so many people. Mm was what started chipping away at that shame. And also, I think it's just a matter of time. I think it takes you time to realize that it's not your fault. It's the fault of the drug. It's alcohol that we should be angry with and not ourselves. Uh Um, And, you know, now I I feel so stupid that I felt so ashamed because I should have felt proud. You know, I was doing something really hard and really life-changing and Uh really you know really uh, yeah transformative and and I should have been really proud of myself instead of hiding away feeling feeling terrible and uh that's why I also did a, a TED talk a year about a year after I I quit uh oh no 2 years after I quit drinking mm-hmm. making sober less shameful because mm. I didn't want anyone else to feel the shame that that I'd felt
0: yeah Yeah, I think that's such a useful um, reflection to think about actually how – shame about our past experiences can actually really hold us back from helping others um because we don't want to talk about the things that we've been through because we feel like they reflect so badly on us um mm. and, but that actually you know that that means that others you know and so so you know the world is very grateful obviously for your blog and then that got turned into the sober diaries because it it it's a uh, it's a story about how change happens and how it's possible. Um, and very often we don't. People are carrying around those stories privately in their heads. So many people are, are walking around with these with these journeys of five, six, seven, eight longer years, having having put alcohol in its place, um, but still carrying this sense of I can't talk about who I used to be.
1: Mm, yeah, and you know. I- Alcoholics Anonymous have done amazing things for for you know hundreds of thousands of people over the years and are a fabulous institution but I think the word anonymous is really problematic because uh-huh. it I think it perpetuates that shame if you feel that you have to be anonymous that you have to hide your story in, uh-huh. in church halls and only talk to people who've been through exactly the same thing then we will you know we we keep we keep up this myth that that you know there is is something terribly wrong with with people who can't cope with their drink uh-huh. um, so you know i think the more the more we can turn around publicly and say hey i quit drinking and my life is not only fine but actually much better than it was before and that yeah. would be something that you would want to consider too even if you don't fit the archetypal mold of you know the rock bottom alcoholic mm-hmm. better
0: yeah absolutely i mean we were talking about this before we started recording about my own experience of changing my drinking i'm my journey and this is is a bit atypical i guess because actually my um changing my drinking has been really centered around a journey of um uh, understanding and living well with my mental health and the um, uh, expanded range of emotions that I live with um, compared to others. And um, and actually how alcohol, um, when it has a consistent role in my life, you know, helping me cope sometimes with very big emotions, um, Um, actually holds me back um, and, you know, impacts on my anxiety, contributes to my depression, and actually that I am better, healthier um, if I'm drinking less or not at all. And now, you know, I'm someone who does drink very occasionally, but, you know, vanishingly rarely um, in in global terms. And I think there is that as well, isn't there? This, um, you know, if we have that image of it's only rock-bottom drinkers who can change. We ignore the people like me, people like you, all of the, all of us who come to an understanding about the role that alcohol's played in our life and work out how we're going to live well, whether we're, you know, drinking occasionally or or not at all. Um, but yeah, telling those stories is really important as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's something I, I talk about actually in the, the TED talk, which is that, um, you know, there is this, this myth or this understanding that, you only give up alcohol if you have to. Uh Um, And, you know, we need to flip that so, you know, so that people can feel that they they can give up alcohol if they want to, for all sorts of positive reasons, not Uh for negative reasons. So you might decide you want to give up alcohol because of your mental health, because of your sleep, because of your physical health, you know, all sorts of, there are all sorts of positive reasons why you would make that altogether wholesome lifestyle choice. Uh-huh. Um, it shouldn't be any different from somebody turning around and saying, actually, I feel better without gluten in my life, or, you know, I feel better without red meat in my life, Wh- whatever, you know, whatever it is, they're all perfectly valid lifestyle choices uh-huh. that, that people can make without being somehow seen as, as, um, <laughs> as, as strange. Or- yeah. Or problematic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've been you've been sober for um some six years now. Um what's the, you know, and very often in these conversations, obviously, because of the, you know, the the flow of people into the club community, it's important to talk about the early stages. But for you, what have you learned as your journeys as your journeys continued? What's what's been uncovered for you um, beyond year one?
1: I guess one of the, the main things I learned is that the trans the transformative effect of quitting drinking doesn't stop. It you know, it keeps going. My my second year of being sober was actually in in many ways more transformative than the first. You know, the first, first year I felt was all about looking inwards. It was all about doing the mental and physical work that you need to go through to get used to a life without drinking. And and, and a lot of that actually is about learning to deal with emotions that you spent so many years numbing. So learning to deal with fear, learning to deal with anxiety, all of those things. It's very inward looking and that's absolutely the way it should be. And, you know, I think people often beat themselves up in the first year because they're not, you know, suddenly taking up yoga or or, or making jewelry or whatever, whatever it might be. And actually, you know, I always tell people, look, it's exhausting just just doing the, you know, doing the, that inward looking stuff is really exhausting. So Hmm. just focus on that for for year one, but often you get to the end of year one and you sort of emerge blinking from from this this stage you've been through and you sort of think, well, okay, I feel a lot better now and I've got so much more time on my hands and I've got so much more energy and what am I going to do with it? You know, Hmm. what do I do now? And people do extraordinary things. I mean, that's the point at which I decided I was going to look at turning my blog into a book and getting a publishing deal. Um, And I started looking at doing the TED Talk and and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, I couldn't have done that in year one. That was, you know, that was just way out of my reach. But by year two, everything suddenly started to feel more possible than it had Mm. before. And I got, I think the work that you go through, makes you much more equipped to take big leaps in your life because you get you get used to dealing with fear you get used to dealing with anxiety you get um you get you start to you 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 get a lot more self respect you know i spent so much of my drinking life not liking myself and by year two i thought actually i'm okay you know i've hmm. done i've done something really great and and maybe i could do something else really good too so yeah yeah, so so I think that that second year and and, and beyond um are, are if anything even more miraculous than than the first year. So you yeah. know anyone listening who's in those early days, you know, keep going because keep going. It, really, it really does keep keep on getting better and better. And you know what the other thing I realized is that it's not a linear journey that you're going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Often you find it's a circular journey. So So you sort of, you know, you keep taking that one day at a time and you keep plodding along and plodding along. And when you emerge blinking in year two, you realize often that you're right back at the beginning and you're sort of back where you were when you were a teenager. And all that, the things that, all that promise and and all the energy and the the skills that you, and the passions you had back then, you often refine. So, So a lot of people find that, you know, the thing they start, they start rediscovering or or doing in in their second and third year sober is the thing they loved as a child which for me was reading and writing and yeah. now that's my not only my new passion but my career yeah. and, and lots of people find that i've had so many so many messages from people saying things like i remember one lady who said she wrote me a, an email saying that um, she'd read a blog post i'd done about rediscovering your childhood self and she um she thought that actually her passion when she was a child was riding so so she found a local stables and and did, did a few ride you know new uh, riding lessons and loved it so much that um she started working for the stables and she loved that so much that she bought her own stables and and now it's her whole not just her passion but her career and she's happier than she's ever been and I hear that sort of story again and again and again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's brilliant. Talking of writing, so your um, your uh, debut novel, The Authenticity Project, um, came out a little while ago, um, and congratulations on it, um, and congratulations on it being award winning. It scooped a debut novel award from the Romantic Novelists Association. Um, tell us a bit about tell tell us a bit about the Authenticity Project. What's it about?
1: oh, well, it's it's kind of inspired by my own my own journey because and and by my journey of writing, actually, because, as we were saying, you know i what really transformed my life was was writing. Writing the truth about what was going on in 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 my life in this blog, and if you'd looked at at the time, if you looked at my social media feeds, you would have thought that everything in my life was 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 pretty perfect, you know, it all looked happy and jolly and you know fine, but it wasn't it wasn't at all and And telling the truth, being authentic in in the blog is what made the real difference for me. And reading that story then made a real difference for a lot of other people. So. That sort of got me thinking, well, you know, if what would happen if other people started to tell the truth about their lives and not not on the Internet like I did, but in a sort of old fashioned notebook, um, because I'm fascinated by the idea of handwriting and finding something that somebody's written in and how how intriguing that would be. So. So the story is about an old man, 79 years old, um, called Julian, who's an artist. And that he's very lonely because his wife has died 15 years previously. And he writes the truth about his life and how lonely he is in this little notebook. And he leaves it in a cafe on the Fulham Road. And it's found by the owner of the cafe, Monica, who decides to track him down and try and change his life. And she, in turn, writes the truth about her own life in the book and leaves it somewhere else. So that book is passed between um. six different complete strangers all totally different and they all managed to find each other and change each other's lives in miraculous ways so uh yeah so the authenticity project is is sort of my story extrapolated
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely like any good any good first novel uh um some autobiography in there
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's also an addict in there obviously one one of the characters has a yeah is an alcohol and cocaine addict. So we see his journey of getting sober so, so yes, yeah, you know as they say <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely Um, so one of the one of the practical consequences of you you having um, won this award is that you very kindly donated some um, funds to Club Soda which we are currently using um, to fund uh, discount and free um, places on our course how to journal um, we'll put all the details in the show notes but basically um, between now and the 11th of July um, so if you're listening to this podcast as it's freshly answered you've just got about a week, um, you can sign up to our short course, How to Journal. It's a seven-day course. It's all about exploring um, different journaling techniques, uh, mindfulness and your relationship with alcohol and really giving you some time and space to think and reflect on how you want to change and envisaging the life that you want to live. It's a course, it's in seven lessons, but you can progress through it at your own pace. Um, and it comes with the support of um, a community of people also doing club soda courses. So you can come and share the insights that you have um, and hopefully learn a- a lot about yourself in the process of of, um, journaling, considering your drinking, beginning to experiment um, and starting to change. If you are interested in um, getting a discounted or free place on that course, um, we're offering this on on an honesty basis for people who are on low income. So, don't let money be a barrier. The course itself only costs £15. If that's too much, if you use the the coupon code JOURNAL50, that's JOURNAL50, you'll get the course for half price um, or use the coupon Code journal free, and you'll get the course um, for nothing. Um, and those coupon codes are valid until the 11th July. Um, after that, you know, of course, feel free to sign up to the course. Um, but yeah, so so Claire, thank you so much for your um, for your contribution and for making that possible. We've had to date um, more than 100 people start the course, so I'm really glad that it's it's making some waves and that people are um, starting to engage with
1: it no that's great i mean it's the the final step of um the twelve steps actually is is giving back and um it's it's partly a selfish thing I think giving back because You know, keeping connected with the sober community and telling your own story, listening to the stories of others, um, you know, all of that 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 kind of thing is what keeps us sober. It's what keeps us remembering why we're doing what we're doing and and feeling grateful for where we've got to. So. uh, So, yes, it is. It is. Partly entirely selfish, I have
0: to confess. I can say it's a very great thing. Um, so, so, uh, what hints can you give us about things that you are currently working on? What's in the pipeline for you?
1: Oh well, I I've finished a well. When I say finished, I'm in the middle of editing a second novel, uh, which comes out. Probably May next year, so May 2022, Uh and I can't tell you what it's called because we're still arguing about the title. Fair enough. I think I've written about fifty titles so far, and I'm not sure where we're going to end up. Um, So, so that's coming out in 2022, and I am uh, actually talking to you from a retreat in Scotland where I've been planning out my third novel, which. Will be out if we ever get that far in 2024 so Amazing. uh so yeah so so um the publishing publishing process works quite slowly so, yeah. so so you know what what you see is always several years behind what you know where where yeah. i'm at um, yeah, Absolutely. but uh but yeah and and i you know if you'd asked me when i was a teenager what i wanted to be when i i grew up i would have told you that i wanted to be um a novelist and And here I am. And if I hadn't quit drinking, I would not have got here. So, yeah, again, if you're listening to this in the early days, believe me, it it really it's a process which really can make dreams happen.
0: Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I mean, if you if you imagine yourself sidling up to um, your former um, advertising expense account, um, drinking uh, self in your younger life. Do you think she would have believed that this was possible?
1: Um, no, I, I I don't think she. She might have believed that one day she'd write a book somewhere off in the, in the future, because, you know, it was always, it was always a dream, but it was one that i never got any closer to, to, Uh to making happen while I was drinking. Uh, But I don't think I would have believed that I could actually enjoy life without alcohol in it. You know, Uh when I had to, when, when I realized I had to quit and you notice, I, I keep saying had to quit as opposed to choose to quit because that's, You know, I never would have chosen to quit. I I felt Uh I had to, and and I thought my life would be over. I sort of my thought process went along the lines of, of okay, you've you've had all your fun years now, and um, and it's not about you anymore. It has to be about your family, your kids. and and putting other people first and not being so bloody selfish, and um, uh, and and that's just the way it's going to be. So suck it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and that that was that was the way I felt about it. I didn't feel any level of you know, yay, this is going to be so exciting. It uh-huh. <laughs> that came later. So um, so yeah, so that's that's the bit I really wouldn't have believed is that. Uh-huh actually life would be better um, and and not not worse.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There is something amazing, isn't there, about the nature of these kind of big life choices that we make that, um, you know, People from the outside might look at them and, and say that we're being brave or that, um, you know, we might, you know, sometimes use that language ourselves. But actually, in my experience, when you do come to those big crunch moments, there's something just inevitable about the choice. You know, I, I almost like I don't have a choice. I can't do anything else except change. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I think so many of us do come to that point, whether it's with drinking or drugs or whatever, we just go. I've got to do something now it's just and it and and it becomes an inescapable fact yeah. and you're right it doesn't feel j- particularly joyful in the moment because it's just this is just this big thing which is happening right now
1: and by then you're often so tired you're too tired <laughs> to be to be joyful about it and you know i I, I felt like it was a, a a set of weighing scales in a way and that you know I got to the point where the joy of drinking was was never outweighed by the pain of drinking so so when i started drinking in my teens the joy definitely outweighed the downsides you know i i don't remember having particularly bad hangovers or doing anything sort of getting out of control in a really you know tragic way more more than a few times um so so it was you know it was all about the joy and very little about the pain and over time that that those scales just gradually 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 started shifting until i got to the point where it was almost all pain and very little joy mm-hmm. and and that's that's the point at which you realize that there is just no point anymore um there, there's a great quote by um uh, uh the Oh, uh, the writer who wrote um, uh, Bird by Bird, which is a a fabulous book on on writing life. And I can't remember her name now, Um, but uh, she talks about how she quit drinking and she quit drinking because um, she couldn't lower her own expectations faster than her own behavior. (laughs) (laughs) which, Which I thought was lovely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that, um, Claire. If people want to um, connect with you uh, online, where can they track you down?
1: Uh, all sorts of places. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm in, um, I'm on Facebook under the name Sober Mummies. I have a page called Sober Mummy. Um, I'm on Twitter as at C. Pooley Writer, and I'm on Instagram uh, at Claire underscore Pooley. So, uh, so all of those places.
0: Brilliant. Well, congratulations again on your latest book. Thank you so much for your um, financial contribution. Just a reminder, um, if you are interested in exploring more about journaling and how we can support you to change your drinking, Club Soda's short course, How to Journal, um, is available at joinclubsoda.com. And um, if you sign up before the 11th of July, if you use the discount code JOURNAL5050, you'll get the course for half price. Um, Or if money is a barrier to change for you, um, don't let that be the case. You can use the discount code journal free um, and you'll get the course absolutely free of charge. Um, Claire, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's been lovely chatting to you as always, Drew.
0: All right. Cheers.
1: Podcast is brought to you by Club Soda. You can find out more about what we do on joinclubsoda.com and on our social handles at Join Club Soda.